Welcome to a Val F.A. Stuttgart Americana, an American-based English language Val F.A. Stuttgart fan podcast where views are unofficial, uninformed, and usually unprepared. Joining me for his 20th episode on the podcast, which is second all-time, Matt, all-time. All-time great. Is you, Matt. Matt, how are you feeling about number 20? Ah, uh, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I watched the game, so <laughs> I'm feeling awesome. All right. Well, maybe this will pep you up. The last couple of episodes, we've been kind of matching your episode appearance streak with certain numbers of Stuttgart players. So I got two number 20s for you that have been players during our fandom over the last uh, half decade or decade or so. One is our much beloved Philip Forster. The mighty mustache. Mm -hmm. 75 matches, eight goals, seven assists. And the other one is the captain, Christian Gettner, who played from 04 to 07, then 2010 to 19, 370 matches, 50 goals, 40 some assists. I mean, which one of those are you picking? So I got to go with Gentner. The I was fortunate enough to, to get to go to Germany a number of years ago for work. And while I wasn't in Stuttgart, I went down there for a weekend and didn't get to see a game, but did do a stadium tour and bought myself the tricot and the floca I got on it is Christian Gentner. I did not know that he won. Yeah. I've got two kits with names on the back. And the one that I wore to Germany, the match that I got to see a number of years ago was a Christian Gettner uh, jersey. So huh. nice. Fun That's I also, awesome. Yeah, I also have a Georg Niedermeyer jersey. So. <laughs> well, that was a choice. <laughs> yeah. I, the thing I always like about Christian Gettner is I never understood what position he played. I knew he was a midfielder. But I didn't know, was he an attacking midfielder? Was he a defensive midfielder? Was he a wing? What did he do? And I think by the end of his time in Stuttgart, everybody was wondering the same thing. But I was wondering it from day one. I had no clue. Even when I played FIFA, I had no idea where to put this guy. I think he was supposed to be kind of a box-to-box, uh, jack-of-all-trades midfielder. But by the end of his career, he had slowed down enough that he couldn't quite make that happen. So he should have been one or the other probably should have leaned more defensive midfielder but mm -hmm. you know it, it, you get it ingrained in your head that you're running the length of the field all the time that's a hard habit to break yeah i think too his his history could have been so much different too because uh i think he scored one of the goals against union berlin in our playoff match with them that we ended up losing uh to go mm -hmm. get sent down and had stuart held on maybe he would have had more of a hero's uh you know exit from the club and he's the answer to a trivia question of one of the only two players to win the Bundesliga, having never played for Bayern Munich um, and, and Dortmund. He played for Stuttgart in 2007, then Wolfsburg won a couple of years later. He was playing, that, playing with them. So, yeah, Christian, kind of, I got a soft spot for the guy. I yeah. Not much to love, but. I will. My lasting memory of him will remain. The, the epic Christian Gettner shrug anytime a referee did anything. His ear, his shoulders went up above his head with a huge shrug, and you'd run at the ref saying something very emphatically. Um, so, yes, big soft spot for the guy, but unfortunately, my lasting memory of him is the shrug. Yeah, yeah. In the relegation, he, I believe, is playing in Switzerland on a team that's about to get relegated. <laughs> There's a, Poor guy. <laughs> yeah, there's a little connection for you. So, Christian, we are choosing you as our number 20 today. Uh, Matt, let's dive into part one. Stuttgart hosting Wolfsburg. 
ended up one to one. Um, some random info going into this one. Wolfsburg is awful on the road. Stuttgart, like you said last podcast, is awful everywhere. At the same time, Hertha Berlin, who was four points ahead of Stuttgart, was playing Bielefeld, who was two points behind Stuttgart. Um, going into this match, it looked like we went with the back four. I don't even know anymore. It was Sosa, Ito, Anton, Dino were back there. But it looked like Sosa moved up. Endo and Karazor were back in the middle. The big surprise, though, was it a bigger surprise that Tommy was back in the lineup or that Furich and Mangala were benched? I think it's a bigger surprise that Tommy was in the lineup. I can't remember the last time <clears throat> that I looked at a, a starting 11. I was like, man, why isn't Eric Tommy in there? Like, he he was a guy I was super excited about when we signed him and he seemed to have a bunch of promise and then had a bunch of injuries and then just kind of evaporated. Yeah. He's got a little bit of that. There's a player that many of us really liked um, a, a Romanian player. Uh, shoot. His name is escaping right now. Uh, Alexander Maxim. Maxim. Oh yeah, yeah. And we all wanted him to play more, but the one consistent thing for Maxim, which is kind of like Tommy is no matter how many coaches went through, they all agreed on one thing that Maxime couldn't play. And I don't know what it is about Eric Tommy. It looks like he's a poor man's Philip Kostic where he's got a little pace. He's got some yeah. passes. He can put a shot on goal, but it never seems to pan out too much. And he never can play more than 60 or 70 minutes. So I don't he, look, he looks like a footballer. Like if you were to cast a movie and you needed extras that looked like professional soccer players you're like yeah that guy yeah, but did. then he gets on the field and he yeah. it was funny because the announcers during the game mentioned about eric tommy's pace i don't know he didn't look too pacey to me that was the book on him when we signed him was that he was super fast and i remember him ripping and maybe my memory is damaged from a few too many vice beers but uh <laughs> i feel like he was ripping up and down the field when we first signed him but he was Definitely, he was. It looked like he was trying to do that, um, but that his legs had lost a few steps and his brain hadn't quite caught on to that fact yet. Yeah, there was a couple of breakaways. There was two that he had where you're expecting him to get to the ball, and he was not able to get to the ball. But I'll, I'll give Monterazzo some credit for shaking things up. Furich has been a bit frustrating with his shots on goal. Mangala has just been frustrating for quite some time. So yeah. Going into this one, I was cautiously optimistic just because Wolfsburg is so bad on the road. Um, the home support for Stuttgart has been so strong this season. Mm -hmm. And we had pretty much a healthy roster coming back. And I kind of thought to myself that at some point, Kalajic is going to break out of his slump. And I figured, why not now? Well, why not now lasted about 13 minutes. So John Flipping Brooks, 13 minutes into the match, does something that I believe six or seven other teams have done against Stuttgart, which I'm kind of surprised that number is that, that low. Um, there was a free kick or a corner kick, I can't remember which, into the box. And despite Anton's height and despite Dino's height, Brooks gets up there, gets ahead on it, and all of a sudden it's one nothing. And yeah, Brooks just timed that better than our guys did. And the, the most frustrating part of that for me is I've been watching John Brooks with the UN's, U.S. men's national team and this was always something like, he's a big dude. He's a powerful dude. Like, that's something we've been wanting him to do for the U.S. for years, and he just didn't do. That's part of the reason he hasn't been on a U.S. roster in a while, because he just wasn't doing stuff. And so for them, for them, for him to come and do it against Stuttgart was just a kick in the pants. And his last season with Wolfsburg, too, it's 
Yeah. It's pretty well, yeah, it's pretty well known that he's done, that he's he's leaving the Wolves, uh, leaving the Bundesliga, and he may end up in the MLS here pretty soon. It was funny because I'm I'm just saying, why can't we defend a free kick? Why can't we defend a corner kick? It's it's been the Achilles heel for this team all season long. I don't get it. It would seem that one of the things you could clean up as the season went on would be those set piece plays in which you can slow and stop the game down and say, okay, you need to be here. You need to be here. You need to cover this. You need to cover that. And we have consistently through 32 matches been unable uh, to do that. And it just, it boggles my mind. That I think that's the most damning indictment against the coaching staff is not the, the man management, not the results issue. It's that we are awful at set pieces. And like you said, that's a thing you can very easily prepare for and should be preparing for. And it doesn't look like we've prepared for them at all. No. And it's funny because I was looking at the kicker ratings after the game and I was a little surprised because I was pretty fired up as a match was going on. They had Mueller at a three, Dino at a three, Anton at a three, five, Ito three, five, Endo at a three. The defense all rated at average or above average in this match. And so that got me thinking a little bit is maybe our defense isn't as bad as I think it is. Maybe it's just that one particular piece, set pieces, is worse than I think it is. And it may be an open play. These guys can play decent D, but when, for whatever reason, there's a corner kick, they go back to youth league. I think, I think there, there's some validity to that. And I think also Rob pointed out um, on our, our group chat on the weekend that uh, we're unable to move the ball through the midfield. So the defense can be as good as they can be, but if their exit point is not helping them exit the ball from the defensive end, you're going to get hammered. And so I think we are worse, significantly worse at free kicks than we are in the open play. We're also getting hammered in the open play because the defense make a stop and then the ball does not clear our defensive end. And let's talk about that. So the defensive ratings weren't too bad, but when you look at the offense, Sosa, a four, Tiago, a five, Omar, a five, Tommy, a four, five, Karazor, which is, he's more of a defensive player, but he was a four. Um, and Kalajic was the worst, a 5.5. I mean, those guys either just aren't getting the ball, can't do anything with the ball. I, one of the notes I wrote down was just our passing and our offense. And I put a little kind of uh, sad face emoji next to it. I, it just, we can't even do the league one, league two British style, just boot the ball up the field. Yeah. I, I get what, I, it seems like we're caught between two things, trying to build from the back, which we have not been able to do for a while, or have Ito or somebody booted up the, the pitch and hope that Kalajic can you know, stop it and then distribute it. And we can't do that either. I don't know what, I don't know what they're doing. I'm not sure they do either, which is really, really frustrating. And I, I think one of the reasons why they, the offensive players got such bad ratings is it felt like they were all sitting really high waiting for somebody else to do something to free them up. And you can't like, that's, that's Kalijah's role, right? That we recognize that's part of his, his gig. But if you're any of the other guys, if, if you're a, um, you know, Tommy or Marmouche, you've got to be getting back to help, with that transition and I don't feel I feel like Tommy was trying but as we said earlier he wasn't fast enough to to move between the attack and the defense and so we just there was no link no link up and we didn't go Matarazzo doesn't want to go route, route one that's not how he likes to play 
but to play the way he wants to play, you need that link up in the middle, and it was just non-existent. Right, and with Mangala, not in the match. That's not what Carazor or Endo, really their prime game is. Right. Say. They're more defensive stoppers. And uh, with Carazor in there, like you mentioned last podcast, the team has been significantly stronger on the defensive end. And we saw, I thought we saw that here, but we were so one-dimensional, we couldn't do anything else to the point where around the 60th minute, Tommy and Marmouche were subbed out. Uh, Omar was clearly unhappy with the sub. I don't think Eric Tommy's ever played more than 60 minutes in a match anyways. I don't know if he was unhappy. Uh, so Furich came in uh, to the match. Um, Forrester came into the match. I don't know if the second half was much different than the first half. I, I just, I was getting ready for the loss. And so let's talk about the one positive this club has. And the kicker said it, is that their game grade, they said there was a little good football, but there was a lot of fight and even more atmosphere. Uh, yeah, the, the home crowd brought it to this match. They were loud. They were on fire. Right. I didn't even really hear them whistle too much. There was a little bit at the beginning of the first or the second half. For the most part, they were on fire in the fight. The one thing that I will give this club, I'll give Mana, I'll give all the players, they don't give up. They don't fight. Yeah. I mean, they don't uh, just lay over. They fight, fight, fight. So Enzo Milo, the 19-year-old kid, comes in for Carazor in the 84th minute. I remember I put on the Twitter machine, Yo, oh, great, exactly what you need in a relegation scrap, a 19-year-old kid who has never played. Uh, about two minutes later, <laughs> I was proven to be genius yet again because Lo had a very nice run down the wing, the left wing, a crossover to Furich. And uh, let's give Furich some credit. This guy can't hit the back of a barn most <laughs> times. But on what was a very difficult shot, he yes. buried it. It was a, a beautiful finish and the kind of thing we've been begging for all season long. Um, and I, I felt like Milot's cross was kind of a like hit it and hope um which at the point we were in that game yeah go for it throw something near the net and see what happens but Furich handled it beautifully um and that was like it was fun to see a ball go into the opponent's net off of a Stuttgart player <laughs> who knew it was I mean who do we get that's our, I think, our first goal in four matches or something like oh, that. Oh, God, that's depressing. It is so bad. And then a minute later, Wolfsburg marches down the pitch. And if not for Florian Mueller, this is a loss. He had a great save around the 87th minute mark. So, you know, some credit there. He probably saved us the point because Stuttgart took their foot off the gas like they've done all season long. And yeah. Wolfsburg very easily could have put this one away again. Yeah, it, I, yes, I agree with everything you said. And I, I got nothing to add, nothing productive. <laughs> no, it's, well, yeah, the end of that game comes and goes. And uh, I think the only thing that was left to be dramatic was uh, there was a ball right outside the Wolfsburg box. Anton was coming up to do his Dino Mavropanis power shot. And I yep. think he launched it somewhere into Freiburg because he just skied that thing. <laughs> After that shot, uh, I posted on Twitter that um, he had was skyrocketing up NFL draft boards for teams who need a kicker because, good Lord. It was nowhere near the goal. So we were lucky to get a draw out of that one. So the good news, I guess, is this. is The good news is this team doesn't give up. This team continues to show fight. And you got to give credit to them for that. I mean, this season may not end the way we want it to, but they're not going to go down without a fight. That, that I'm convinced. That the other news on the table, and I don't know if this is good news or bad news, so I'll throw this at you, is Hertha Berlin were up late on Bielefeld, 
And had that result stood, we would be three points and about six goals ahead of Bielefeld for the 16th place relegation playoff place. However, in the 91st minute, Bielefeld scored a equalizer. It's a draw. So that means everything stays the same with two matches left. Berlin is four points ahead of us. Bielefeld is two points behind us. Is that good news or bad news? Nah. I, I mean, theoretically, good news, right? Because we're still within striking distance of Berlin. So we could mathematically get out of the relegation zone. But the reality is we have Bayern Munich this weekend. Yep. And unless they're all still in vacation in Ibiza, um, we're not taking any points from that game. And then I don't see how we get any points from Colm the following week. So <clears throat> it really probably Berlin hanging on for a win would have been better for us because anything to keep Bielefeld further from our tails uh, is a good thing. Um, but it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm kind of resigned to the fact that we're, we are where we are. And uh, the likelihood is that we're going to get sent down uh, at the end of the season because it's just, we've had the worst luck of any club ever in the history of organized professional sports. Yeah, I, I think it was bad news. I was resigned to the fact that we could get 16th place. I was thinking to myself that, okay, if Bielefeld is down three points in that significant goal difference, um, that puts us in a halfway decent chance because I don't see us getting points the rest of the way. And uh, we'll talk about Bielefeld here in a minute. So I thought that was bad news, but the fact we got the draw, at least we've, we've got that going uh, for us. So let's move into part two, headlines and questions and such. The big headline I want to talk to you about is you mentioned Byron taking the uh, vacation to Ibiza for a party. So they lost big time to Mainz. The score could have been worse than what it was. I think it was like 3-1 Mainz. Um, then they would do Ibiza to celebrate them wrapping up their 10th straight Bundesliga title. Uh, Felix McGoth, who is the Berlin coach, ripped on them. And him and Nagelsmann, who is the Bayern coach, are kind of going back and forth on um, how unprofessional this is versus, you know, Bayern that wrapped it up. They can do what they want to do. I think this is brilliant on McGoth's part. He's putting pressure on Bayern to actually play. Uh, a legit match against Stuttgart. Uh, Bayern is going to be playing at home. I think they might be having the celebration for the title at home uh, because they've already wrapped it up. Because we deserve that. Yeah, I know. Any thoughts on on what McGoth said, on what uh, Bayern said, and what you expect Bayern to bring uh, in this match this weekend? I, I get McGoth being irritated and anybody down, you know, from really from Augsburg down, anybody who's not mathematically safe at this point. Uh, you want all of the opponents above you playing the people below you to be bringing their all. Um, so I, I get where he's at and he kind of needs to do that from a, a PR standpoint, if nothing else. But the, the spot I've kind of gotten with Byron is as, as irritating as they are. And as much as we hate uh, the way that they game the system and everything, somebody has got to stop them. And until we stop them, they're going to keep doing it. So McGoth, if you don't like what Byron's doing, go beat them. <laughs> right. Make and, them stop. Yeah. So they've got it wrapped up. They've got a lot of kids too, like a lot of teams do. Why not play the youth and play the kids? Um, I don't believe a two-day bender is going to impact their play against us too much, no. unfortunately. So, yeah, I, I get what McGoth's doing. He's trying to protect his team um, and trying to protect their status in the Bundesliga. Yep. Um, speaking of another team, let's try, one of the questions – 
I sent something out on Twitter about, I was kind of criticizing Moderato and I put out that the number of coaches he had lost to. And to me, how that list of coaches is a very unimpressive list of, of coaches that he's lost to. And one of the comments I made was that the Freiburg roster is significantly less impressive than the Stuttgart roster, but Freiburg is fighting for a Champions League spot. Yeah. And some Freiburg supporters said, uh, slow down, only about one or two of the Stuttgart players would actually be in the starting 11 for Freiburg. And I got to thinking about that. I didn't say anything because I got scared and I don't want to get into Twitter argue with anyone. <laughs> so I stopped. I put my tail between my legs. But I don't buy that. They're not listening, so I can say that now. I don't. Right. I, I think where they're correct is the current form of the Freiburg team is, and those players is significantly better than whatever we have. In fact, there was a report that Kalijic has played so poorly the last month that his value might be sinking under 20 million euro, which is what Stuttgart would release him for. And so does, does Kalajic stay with the team in the second division? I don't think he will because I think he's going to want to go and Stuttgart's philosophy is if you want to go, we're going to help you get out of here. But I thought it was interesting. I mean, what is your take on that? Is it based? I would still say that Stuttgart has more potential play talent than Freiburg, but Freiburg has clearly shown it on the pitch. I think potential is that word's doing a lot of work uh, <laughs> in that sentence. If, if you had asked me, Prior to the season, uh, yeah, up and down, I think our roster at, at that time, I would have told you our roster was a lot stronger. But looking how the team has performed at this point, um, I mean, even the guys that we expect a lot out of just have not, like, Mangala is the perfect avatar for this. He, at the beginning of the season, full of promise, Mangala is one of my favorite players on the pitch, was always bringing it, you know, great just was awesome and he's been a huge disappointment all season long and so right now I think the Freiburg guys got a point like who on who on Stuttgart is playing at a level that would get them starting over a player on Freiburg nobody <laughs> I know yeah so I think yeah I think potential is one thing actual results is another thing and so uh maybe it's time to go delete that tweet so the evidence isn't isn't there on real quick yeah, so that leads us to the next question. Uh, the Village Footballer, who, you know, they do some great stuff on their podcast, talking about the Bundesliga as a whole. Uh, they asked, you know, they were more of a statement, concerned whether the season might be extended for the two games if Valpy is able to hold on to the heights of 16th place. Irony and sarcasm included. Woo. My thing is, I am just praying they can hold on to 16th place. I will be happy as can be if they get two extra games. Because let's get into this. Who is going to get more points over the next two matches, Bielefeld or Stuttgart? Well, Bielefeld's got uh, Bochum, right? And who's their last game? Leipzig. Yep. So I don't think Bielefeld's going to get anything against Leipzig, but they've got a real chance to get at least a point, if not three, against a not good Bochum team. Um, we're not going to get anything out of Bayern and we're probably not going to get anything out of Colm. So if we can hang on to 16, that'd be great. I agree. Bochum just clinched survival into the Bundesliga. So I don't think they have any motivation to do any. The only hope that we have is that Bochum is playing, I think, their last match at home in front of their home crowd. And they're going to want to be able to celebrate what has been a fantastic season for them. And yeah. They're not going to want to, they're not going to want to put out a bad performance. So 
maybe we can get some luck there, but I agree with you. I think Leipzig's going to be okay because Leipzig is fighting for the Champions League, and they just lost to Gladbach, which is a big blow to them for their Champions League uh, hopes. And that Cologne and Freiburg are right there. So I think Leipzig will do us what we need them to do against Bielefeld, but I got a bad feeling about this Boca match. So if I was going to say who's going to get more points over the next uh, six possible points, I agree with you. I, I think it's both. I think it's uh, Bielefeld. Yeah, I don't. I don't feel great about that, but it, um, it's hard to look at the game scheduled and come out with a different conclusion. Well, let's talk about conclusions, Matt, and what is rapidly becoming our fastest episode ever. We are the Eric Tommy of podcasts. <laughs> What do you think of that? <laughs> I, I think it's, it's a bummer how accurate that is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to predictions. Last week, Matt, you came in second. Uh, Austin came in first, five wins out of nine. I had a rough one. I went three wins out of nine. You went four wins out of nine. Overall, I've got 143 wins to 130. You've got 136 to 137 losses. Um, Austin's got 134. Jeff's got 131. However, when it comes to Stuttgart picks, Matt, you are about to get relegated. Um, Jeff has got 17 wins. I've got 16. Austin's got 14. You've got 13. So this is going to be, be a big one. Um, we are away to Bayern. Magath did his criticism of Bayern. Stuttgart has played against Bayern 120 times all time. Any guesses how many wins we've got? Seven. Yeah, <laughs> triple that, my friend. <laughs> Confidence, 21 wins to 20 draws to it's who knows how many losses. Yeah, a lot. Guess who has scored the most goals for Stuttgart in that uh, rivalry? Oh, uh, let's go with our boy Gentner. Mario Gomez. Push the button, buddy. Well, he scored more goals for uh, Bayern against us oh. than he did oh. for us. It was actually Ginchek. I think he's got two or three or something like that. Um, we lost to them five to nil last match. Can you? Here's the last five or four matches. Uh, 5-0, 4-0, 1-3. We won 4-1 a couple years ago, 0-3. So we've got a minus 18 goal difference against them, basically, <laughs> over the oh. last couple of years. Do you Any guesses who scored the last goal for Stuttgart against uh, Bayern? Currently, uh, Oh, well, I was going to guess uh, Georg Niedemeyer, but that uh, cancels that off. Um, Philip Furster? Kula Bali scored the opener, I believe it was... Uh, two seasons ago to give us a one nil lead that we later lost three to one. So Koulibaly. I, I don't remember Tangi Koulibaly ever scoring a goal at all for sure. It was a great goal and things were looking great. And then things fell apart. Bill Forster almost scored yeah. a goal and it was overruled that match too. So we had that going through it. Um, oh, it was close. The last like five or six matches, Gettner's got an own goal in that match. Jordan Niedermeyer's got an own goal in that match. So a little As he does to the kids that I own. Um, here's some fun news. Endo, Sosa, Mangala, and Forster are all on their, uh, what is it, fifth yellow card. So the next yellow card, they cannot play against Cologne. How's that Ooh. for fun? It's just uh, the, the Bundesliga script writers have been working overtime to draw the drama out of the VFB collapses narrative. Do you play any of those guys against Bayern Munich if you're Monterazzo? They play all of them against Bayern Munich. It's the, what I don't, I don't see a whole lot of point in trotting out a, a roster of your second team guys and just waving a white flag. I think you have to go and fight. If you give up against Bayern, even knowing that you're going to go in there and 
get curb stomped, that sends a really bad message to the whole team and uh, portends a total collapse against Colm. Like, just send your boys out there and have them do their best. Maybe, maybe we can get one of these four one wins like we did a couple of years ago when we completely mm-hmm. surprised Byron and came out of nowhere to smack him in the face. God, that was such a great day. That was, uh, was it, do you remember Anastanis Donis? He had a goal in that match. Ginchek had two goals in that match. Um, Akolo had a goal in that match. We ended up winning four one. Oh, we, what do we think? I remember thinking Donis was the next savior for this team. Oh my gosh, and, so fast. Yeah. yeah. No idea where he's at now. Yeah, so we've got that match come out. I don't play Endo and I don't play Sosa. I guess Sosa's been playing hurt. I would keep those two guys out. Um, I put Mangala in and Forster in, I guess. I would try to save everything for the Cologne match. Who? Which match is more important? <laughs> I think you know the answer to this. The Sugar match or Friday. So we play on Sunday. Friday is Bochum versus Bielefeld. Bochum has got the lead, 12 wins to nine losses in this, uh, while they've been in the Bundesliga. Uh, last time they played, though, Bielefeld won at home two to nothing. Now, the away team has only won two of the last 10 encounters, so that does give us some hope. It's Bielefeld on the road. What are you thinking? I think, uh, like you mentioned, Bochum's going to want to wrap up their city in front of their their season, in front of their fans and style. Um, I think they're the better team. I think they should win. Uh, I think they can win. But I also uh, recognize that there's a witch doctor somewhere who is haunting Stuttgart. And so the opposite of what is expected would not surprise me. Yeah, you sound like my grandma telling me that you should get a prom date. You can get a prom <laughs> date, but well, we all know how that ended. Um, I'm, you know, your cousin was very polite to you that entire evening. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It's keep it all in the family. Hey, oh. All right. So that one's on Friday. I'll be trying to watch that one like, uh, like crazy. That oh, one no doubt. Absolutely enormous to Stuttgart's future. Um, then we've got Sunday. It's Stuttgart on the road versus Dortmund. What do you think the betting predictors have this one at? Um, Boy, I think they're going to predict uh, Bayern by three. It's close. You've got Bayern minus two goals in this one. So that being said, what do you think? Uh, Bayern might, so if Bayern wins by two or more, I think Bayern's going <laughs> to put four on us. I don't, I think. There's part of me I want to take Stuart plus two in this one because that's a pretty big spread when it comes to uh, yeah. football matches, but we can't score. We can't right. score. And us trying to, to believe that we're going to hold Bayern to two goals, I'm struggling with that one. I, here's what I think. If the Bielefeld match goes south for us, I expect – I'm curious to see if Monterazzo pulls Sosa, pulls Endo, pulls Mangala, and just says, listen, we know we're going to lose against Bayern. Um, Let's save those guys for the Cologne match. Goal mm-hmm. difference at this point doesn't matter anymore. We'll try to button up the shop so it doesn't get too bad. And let's just ride this one out, get healthy for next week because that's our season. So I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Bayern minus two in this one, just like uh, just like you will. I think it's an easy bet. The only thing going for us is this team doesn't give up. This team does fight. Bayern might be hungover. <laughs> We've got those, <laughs> those three things going for us, but outside of that. Um, it's a, it's a little worrisome for the boys. In and, 
and Byron's done that with us before where they've shown up and gone, this is going to be a cakewalk and we get a cheap shot on them and take the game away. So I, we, we can win. I don't think we will, but anything's possible. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see you know, what happens going into this match, but all eyes will be on that Friday match between Bochum and Bielefeld. And then we'll kind of know what our status is going to be going into the Sunday match against that plucky little team from Munich called Bayern Munich. Oh, man, I think we're going to wrap it up here. This is our quickest episode ever. Do you think our, our followers will uh, will increase because of this? <laughs> it's, you know, I... I... And we got a bunch of uh, a bunch of additional followers recently, and I think some of it is just uh, people watching the car on fire on the side of the road. <laughs> and to those individuals, I say welcome, and also screw you, you bunch of jerks. Um, <clears throat> I think some of it is, is some new Stuttgart fans finding us, which has been really exciting on Twitter to see a bunch of uh, new Stuttgart fans, particularly U.S.-based Stuttgart fans, reaching out and saying, "Hey!" So to all of you guys hey and uh thanks and uh you know we're all in this together mm -hmm. um, yep, all those Bayern Munich fan clubs in the United States of which there are many of them yeah take it easy on us this weekend would you would yeah you but if you if you see if you're a Bayern fan who's listening to this to see what we think about the match uh congratulations and also buy your Stuttgart buddy down the bar uh, a couple drinks because he's gonna need it yeah, you'll be, you'll be able to tell who he is because he'll be the fella crying at the end of the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks so much for joining us this week. Hopefully, we've got some happy news to talk about next week. But if not, hopefully, we can at least talk about you know, Bochum helping us out. Bochum helping us out or really Stuttgart. If we got a draw, that'd be amazing. Or just kept Bayern from putting us through a meat grinder would be nice. <laughs> we had so many hopes and dreams. <laughs> All right, my friend. I'll talk to you next week. <laughs> See you, Travis.